Somebody asked me once which translation of the Bible I use. Now, there are many good translations. The one I use, when I started studying the scriptures 40 years ago, I used the King James Version, which is almost the only one available those days. Today I use the New American Standard Bible and uh, the Living Bible or which is more modern now called the New Living Translation. <clears throat> That's just for your information. Uh, let's turn to the book of Job and we'll go now to chapter 3. See the reason why I'm spending a little more time on Job than on some of the other books is because of the very reason which I mentioned in the last session that I personally believe that this was the first inspired writing in scripture. I do not believe that all these details could have ever have been written hundreds of years after Job died. And therefore, if this is the first inspired book of scripture, then there's a lot of teaching here which is very, very relevant for us. And it deals with the individual. It doesn't deal with a nation like most of the Old Testament dealt with. It deals with God and one man. God and you. So in that way, the book of Job is a great encouragement. And many of the things that we face and suffer from Satan and from other believers, Job faced. Because these three so-called friends of his were actually a picture of other believers. They are not enemies. They are not unbelievers. It's a picture of believers who can trouble us, misunderstand us, criticize us. And it is always most, more painful when a believer attacks us and accuses us than an unbeliever. And uh, if I were to give you my testimony in the last 40 years, I've faced a thousand times more accusation and criticism from believers than from unbelievers. And I think that is the history of almost every servant of God in the history of the church. It's no different. Jesus faced more opposition from the Pharisees than from the Greeks and the Romans. Pilate wanted to release him. Annas and Caiaphas wanted to kill him. So it's always been like that. And so don't be surprised when you find your maximum opposition from believers who don't understand you, who criticize you, who tell all types of false stories about you. Because Job faced that too from his so-called friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and so far. And in the end, there was a man called Elihu also. So I just want to say something about, you see, there were three rounds of discussion here from between um, these Job and his three friends. That goes on from chapter 3 to chapter 31. Three rounds of discussion. Uh, three of them, one, two of them spoke three times and the last one spoke only twice. And then at the end of these three rounds of discussion, another young man speaks, Elihu, from chapter 32 to 37. And then when he's also finished, God speaks, chapter 38 to 42. So that's the broad outline of the book of Job. First of all is this discussion between God and Satan in chapter 1 and 2. And then there's this long discussion between Job and these four preachers chapter 3 to 37 
and then there is a discussion between the Lord and Job in chapter 38 to 42 that's how the book of Job is divided now what we've covered so far is the first discussion between God and Satan and how Job reacted now <clears throat> these preachers it's very clear that they were also instruments in God in the devil's hand to accuse Job now before we look into that I want to show you one verse as to what God said about these preachers God said something about Job we already saw that God said something about these three preachers let's look at that before we see what they said Job chapter 42 the Lord said in verse 7 the last chapter verse 7 to Eliphaz the Temanite I'm angry with you and with your two friends for you have not been right in what you said about me please remember that when you read all that they said your opinion may be different from God some of those things they said you may say well they were right in what they said but please humble yourself and remember God said that they were wrong why <clears throat> According to our human intelligence, when we read some of the things that Eliphaz said and others said, they sound right. Why did God say, then what you said was not right? It's very important for us to understand that. Because the spirit behind it was wrong. And it's the spirit behind your words that God sees. You can say a right thing, but you can say it with the motive of hurting somebody. And God says it's wrong. But you examine those words according to scripture and in a court of law it's absolutely right. And every court of law the supreme court will also say it's right but God says it's wrong. Please remember this all your life. That a lot of things which men say are right God will say is wrong. Because he sees the spirit. Why did you say it? What was the motive? in your saying this correct statement what was the motive in your finding fault with somebody a servant of God in a particular area you can find fault with servants of God in many areas okay what you say may be correct the question is why do you say it do you say it because you're jealous do you say it because you want to show that you are clever you want to accuse I would say be careful <clears throat> a spiritual man cannot be discerned by clever people who are carnal only a spiritual man can discern another spiritual man and there was nobody spiritual in Job's time so none of these four preachers could discern him <clears throat> only God could okay <clears throat> now these four preachers Eliphaz Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu are a picture of four types of preachers today in Christendom. Eliphaz, we read in chapter 4 and verse 12, is the man who is given to visions and angels and supernatural you know there are preachers like that who always talk about visions that they have seen and angels that they have seen and 
uh, try to bring authority into their words by giving you these testimonies of their angels and visions. Chapter 4, Eliphaz says, this is his first pre-sermon to Job, and he says, you know, actually this truth that I'm sharing with you, verse 12, was given to me in secret. It was whispered in my ear. It came in a vision at night when others were sleeping. Fear gripped me. I trembled as the power of God came upon me. And I shook with terror. And a spirit came in front of my face. It sent shivers up my spine. It stopped. And then there was a form in front of my eyes. And a voice said, Can a mortal man be just and upright before God? Can a person be pure before the Creator? The words are right. Absolutely right. Can a mortal man be just and upright before God? Can a person be pure before Creator? But that was not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't bring fear and terror into a man's heart. The Holy Spirit always brings joy and peace. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Don't be scared of all these people who talk about visions and dreams and spirits and all. They're like Eliphaz. It's one group of preachers in Christendom today. And they try to bring authority to what they say, not from the written word of God. If they quoted the written word of God, that'd be fine. No, they say in secret, I saw a vision and this is what I heard and this is what the Lord told me. Some other Lord, not the Lord Jesus Christ. The second preacher is Bildad. And he, he's a, a gentler type of person. If you read Bildad's, I don't have time to show you all the verses. He's a gentler type of person who is, uh, he's still accusing Job. You know, there are some people who accuse harshly and some people who accuse in a very gentle way. You see how sometimes a, a husband can say one small sentence and there's a sting of a serpent in it. Or a wife can say something and very gently and there can be a sting of a serpent in it. There are different ways in which people speak with the same evil nature. So Bildad was a little more gentle and he, he is the type of preacher who talks about what our fathers believe. From the time of our fathers we know that God always judges wicked people and he believes in the traditions of the fathers. You know that's another type of preacher today in Christendom who doesn't want to disturb any of the church traditions that have been uh, handed down from hundreds of years. We don't change anything. Uh, we don't go for visions and dreams and all that. It's just these traditions, these traditions. This is what our fathers believed. This is what our forefathers believed. And of course, we don't want to rock the boat. That's the second type of preacher. And we see plenty of those also. The third preacher is Zophar. <clears throat> and he is a very angry man. He's the man who hit out at Job the hardest. He's these like these self-appointed prophets, you know. These people who have imagined that they are fiery people like Elijah and John the Baptist. God has never anointed them or called them, but they try to hit out at this and hit out at that. And uh, 
They are self-appointed critics of everything they see. Everything is wrong. Here it's wrong. Here it's wrong. Here it's wrong. Self-appointed critics. Now Jesus also criticized a lot of things. But that, there's an anointed criticism and there are self-appointed senses. You know, in the book of James chapter 3, in the Amplified Bible, it says, don't be a self-appointed censor of other people's actions. When it says, don't be many teachers, the Amplified Bible amplifies that. A self-appointed censor. You know what a censor is? One who assesses every single word that other people say. The Pharisees were like that. Every word, he says, they waited to catch him in some word. I found that many times in my ministry too. Sometimes there are people sitting in the congregation who are waiting to catch one word that I say. Ah, you know what Brother Zach said? Or they want, they're looking carefully with a microscope through my books to find one word. Jesus faced it. Self-appointed critics who never do anything for God themselves, but who are only interested in finding fault with others. There are preachers like this plenty. There's no anointing in their life. There's no blessing in their life. They are angry people who are just censoring and criticizing and accusing. That's Zophar, an angry man who uses harsh words and hard words. Jesus said things like, you vipers and snakes, but there was an anointing upon them. But if you imitate Jesus, there may be no anointing on what you say. You can't imitate Paul. Paul turned around to somebody and said, you enemy of all righteousness, the Lord will smite you. You imitate that. There's no anointing on it. You can imitate a true prophet and there'll be no anointing on your words. God doesn't back it up. So Zophar was like that. This other type of preacher appears to be very radical and all that. But there's no anointing there. And Elihu is much better than all these three. He was the fourth type of preacher who accurately taught what he said was the truth. In fact, in the uh, chapter 42, you don't find God saying anything against Elihu. It's very interesting. He only says against Eliphaz and Zophar and Bildad. God doesn't criticize Elihu because Elihu had a little better spirit. But Elihu was a teacher who taught everything correctly, but he was a man who had not gone through suffering and trial himself. That's another type of preacher uh, who have got a lot of knowledge, but never gone through deep waters of suffering and trial. And they are very pious people who are ready to give advice to other people who are going through the deep waters of suffering and trial, never having known anything of them of it themselves. What they say is correct, but God does not anoint it because they have not gone through those deep waters themselves. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1.4, I've been through pressure and tremendous distress and trial and the strength that God gave me in that is what I give to you. That's a different type of preacher altogether. That's the type we should be, like Paul was. But these four preachers are not the type of preachers any of us should be. Even like Elihu is the best of the lot. And that's why none of them could accomplish anything with Job. They just wasted their time. 
And they were all prosperity preachers, by the way. Elihu a little less than the others, but basically they all believed that prosperity was the thing. Now I want to share something else with you as a broad outline, first of all. I don't have, we don't have time to go through every chapter. But let me just show you briefly, first of all, you know, the um, first round of discussion. You see, Eliphaz, I'll just pick out a few verses here and there and show you a little picture of how these people preached. When Eliphaz preached to Job, he was saying, you are suffering because you have sinned. That was his basic message. Job, you are suffering because you have sinned. He didn't know anything about Job's private life, but he accuses him, just like a lot of people today. Chapter 4, verse 8. My, this is Eliphaz. He says, my experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same themselves. <clears throat> so what you're getting a harvest of the evil that you have cultivated and the trouble that you have planted in your past life. It was 100% wrong. And what was Job's reply to Eliphaz? Chapter 6 and verse 6 and 7. This is only a sample. He says... People complain when there is no salt in their food. He says, your message is like food without salt and like the uncooked white of an egg. <laughs> he uses pretty expressive terms to say, that's what I think of your message. Goodbye. He couldn't care less. Then Bildad speaks, and I'll give you a sample of Bildad's preaching. In chapter 8, verse 4, he says, your children must have sinned. They obviously sinned against God. So their punishment is well deserved. And if you are, verse 6, if you are pure and live with complete integrity, God will rise up and restore your happy home. Pious, holy man who knows all about Job's children apparently. Do you criticize other people's children? Do you say this has happened because of this? I know why this has happened to so and so. This is because of this. This is because of that. You're like Bildad. No different. Be careful. These are warnings for us, my brothers and sisters. What is Job's reply to that? Chapter 9, verse 2. He says, yes, I know this is all true in principle. You want me to be perfect before God. How can a person be declared innocent in the eyes of God? If someone wanted to take God to court, is it possible to answer him even once in a thousand times? Is all these theories you're saying is right? A lot of preachers preach theories which they have never practiced in their daily life. Then we go to the third preacher, that's Zophar. This is the first round of discussion. I'm just giving you a little sample and you'll get an idea of what type of preachers these were. Chapter 11, verse 11 is Zophar, this angry man. You know, he says things like, verse 3, Should I remain silent while you babble on, you mock God? And you shouldn't someone make you ashamed? And um, he says in verse 11, He knows those who are false. God knows those who are false. And God takes note of all these, their sins. An empty-headed person. He's calling Job the godliest man in his generation. He's calling him an empty-headed person. 
you won't become wise any more than a wild donkey can produce human children what are what strong words can a wild donkey produce human children you're not going to be any better than that yeah yeah are these preachers or what are these people supposed to represent god or just angry men trying to get their own back on someone whom they are jealous of so that's the first round of discussion that's over and then um yeah i didn't show you what job said to him yes job says in chapter 12 his response to zophar he in sarcasm in a sarcastic way he tells zophar oh you really know everything don't you and i suppose when you die there'll be no more wisdom in this world <laughs> he says well i also know a few things myself verse 3 and you are no better than i am who doesn't know all these things that you're saying see job's not bothered by what these people say he just replies to them straight then we go to the second round of discussion in the second round we see eliphaz saying in chapter 15 and verse 2 eliphaz replied to job and says you're you're supposed to be a wise man and yet you give all this foolish talk you're nothing but a windbag <laughs> you know what a windbag is a lot of hot air that's all you got it isn't right to speak so foolishly and he says in verse 20 wicked people are the ones who have pain all through their lives these wicked people verse 27 may be fat and rich but their cities will be ruined and what is job's reply to that in the second round chapter 16 verse 2 job says i've heard all of this before he says you are a bunch of miserable comforters won't you ever stop your flow of foolish words what have i said that makes you speak so endlessly i could say the same things if you were suffering in my place i could come and preach to you like that too i could spout off my criticisms against you and shake my head at you absolutely right and then in the second round bildad speaks in chapter 18 and verse 2 bildad says how long job before you stop talking speak some sense if you want us to answer do you think we are cattle do you think we have no intelligence you may tear your hair out in anger but do you think that'll make the rocks fall off from a cliff verse 5 the truth remains that the light of the wicked is snuffed out god snuffs out the light of the wicked in other words you're a wicked man verse 6 the light in their tent will grow dark the converse 7 the confidence stride of the wicked will be shortened verse 8 the wicked walk into a net they fall into a pit that god has dug for them in their path that's what he says implying that job is wicked and job's reply to that is chapter 19 verse 2 how long will you fellows torture me how long will you try to break me with your words 10 times you have tried to insult me now you should be ashamed of dealing with me so harshly and even if i have sinned this is the best part that's my concern not yours god will deal with that why are you bothered about that you're trying to overcome me using my present humiliation as evidence of my sin but it is god who has wronged me he he feels that god has wronged him i cry out for help but no one hears and then zophar this is the angry man he comes to give his second 
round, uh, third round rather. Oh, no, the second round. He says in chapter 20, verse 19. The wicked man oppresses the poor and leaves them destitute. Job, you must have done something like that. He turns them out of their homes because they can't pay their rent. You must have done that. The wicked man is always greedy, verse 20, never satisfied. He dreams about things and nothing remains. Nothing is left after he's finished gorging himself for the food. And therefore his prosperity will not endure. In the midst of plenty, he will run into trouble. And disasters will destroy him. And may God give such people a belly full of trouble. These are supposed to be comforters. Accusing, 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 accusing. Job's reply to this second round of discussion, the third man so far in chapter 21. Now listen to the wisdom of Job, verse 7. He says, actually the truth is that wicked people sometimes live to a good old age. Isn't that right? Absolutely right. He was no prosperity preacher, Job. He says, wicked people grow old and wealthy. We see it all around us. Wicked people live to see their children, verse 8, grow to maturity. And wicked people even enjoy their grandchildren. Don't say I'm wicked, that suffering only comes to wicked people. He says, look around and see. Wicked people enjoy their grandchildren. Wicked people, their homes, verse 9, are safe from every fear. And God does not punish them. Absolutely right. Their animals, their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows bear calves without any miscarriage. In other words, their business prospers. Their children are happy and skipping about like lambs, verse 11. The children are happy singing with tambourines and harps. They make music, wicked people. They make merry to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity and they go to their grave in peace. This is exactly what we see of wicked people around us. All this, even though they say to God, go away, we don't want, it's no use praying to you. We don't want you. Who is the Almighty that we should obey him? What good will it do to us if we pray? Verse 16, their prosperity is not of their own doing. In other words, Job says they are not prosperous because of a reward for their lives, because their lives are so wicked. And so I will have nothing to do, Job says, with that kind of thinking that you people are telling me that I'm suffering because I'm wicked. Very sensible reply. And now we come to the third round of discussion that goes on between Job and the three. We saw the two rounds already. In the third round, only two people speak, Eliphaz and Bildad. Eliphaz says, chapter 22, verse 6 and 7, <clears throat> I know what happened, Job. Now he acts as though he's got discernment. This is the man who talks about visions and spirits and prophecy and all that type of stuff. You must have lent, uh, 22, 6, you must have lent money to your friend and kept the clothing which he gave you as a pledge and never returned it. That means you treated your friend badly. You stripped him to the bone. And more than that, Job, verse 7, you must have refused water when some thirsty man came to your house. 
and you must have refused him the hungry man food when he came to your house after all job you think the land belongs to the powerful and those who have privilege have a right to it because you're such an influential man you think everything belongs to you more than that some widows who came to your place you verse 9 you must have sent them away without helping them and you must have crushed the strength of some orphans that is why verse 10 you are surrounded today by traps and fears that's why you cannot see in the midst of all the darkness and the waters that cover you and you say verse 13 that god can't see what i'm doing how can he judge through the thick darkness all a lie how easy it is to judge other people what is job's reply he says in verse 1 the last part why must the godly wait for so long for god evil people steal the land move the boundaries markers they steal sheep they take donkeys from the poor and the fatherless the poor widow has to give her ox to pay for a loan the poor are kicked aside by evil people the needy have to hide from these evil people for safety like the wild donkeys in the desert the poor have to spend all their time just enough getting enough to keep body and soul together they have to go into the desert these poor righteous people sometimes to search for food for their children The wicked verse 9 snatch a widow's child from her breast they take the baby as a pledge. The poor on the other hand have to go about naked without any clothing verse 10. They press out olive oil for other people and they are not allowed to taste it themselves. The groans of the dying rise from the city yet God does not respond to their moaning. Wicked people verse 13 rebel against the light. They don't stay in the right paths. The murderer rises in the dawn to kill the poor. The adulterer waits for twilight and sins. They break into houses verse 16. But Job says, I know one day they'll disappear from the earth verse 18. Everything they own is cursed. Death consumes the sinners finally. Even the sinner's own mother will forget him. worms will find him sweet to eat no one will remember him wicked people are broken god in his great power verse 22 will drag away the rich verse 25 can anyone claim otherwise can you prove me wrong see job has got his head screwed on properly he thinks straight when he is speaking even though he's in intense suffering so that's his the second round when bildad he's got very little to say but he says in verse 25 verse 4 how can a mere mortal man stand before god and claim to be righteous who in all the earth is pure god is so glorious even the moon and stars scarcely shine compared to him now job's reply to that is to the third round of bildad in chapter 26 verse 2 sarcastically again he uses a lot of sarcasm <clears throat> oh he says how you people have helped powerless people like me how you have saved people who have no strength oh how you have enlightened my stupidity he's being sarcastic oh you have enlightened my stupidity 
What wise things you have said. He's making fun of them. Where have you gotten all these wise sayings? Whose spirit speaks through you? Verse 4. That's his question. Whose spirit is speaking through you? And he says in chapter 27, verse 6, the last part. My conscience is clear for as long as I live. That's Job's reply. I use this New Living Translation because it makes some of these things very clear. And so you see, there is this discussion that goes on like this. Now I want to come, uh, Zophar doesn't speak a third time. I think he's probably heated up so much that he's sitting there and cooling off. He's got nothing more to say. And then you find this long reply that Job gives from chapter 26 on to chapter 31 where he's justifying himself and he's saying all these things that he did. You see, Job, though he was a very wonderful man and had light on so many things that were wrong, he was an extremely helpful man, but he did not have light on one thing, spiritual pride, pride in his godliness. He was godly and he was proud of it. And that is why God took him through this trial to make him godly and humble. You know, when the Apostle Paul, godly man, was in danger of becoming proud, he also was taken through suffering. He was given a thorn in the flesh called a messenger of Satan. Job had a messenger of Satan. Paul had a messenger of Satan. But Paul says, I know why I got it. Job didn't know. Job, Paul says, I know, 2 Corinthians 12, because I was in danger of becoming spiritually proud. So God did this to keep me humble so that I can get grace because God gives grace only to the humble. That is the real reason why God takes godly people through suffering, misunderstanding, opposition, persecution to humble us so that he can pour out his grace upon us. That is the New Testament answer. Job, don't blame Job. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have the Holy Spirit. He didn't have a brother. He didn't have a meeting to go to. It's amazing that he lived as he did with all that. Without all that. But in the New Testament, we have the clear light as to why God takes godly people through suffering. And now we come to the last preacher, Elihu. And I just want to show you a few things that he says in chapter 32. The fourth preacher says, Elihu, the son of Barakel, was very angry. Now, I've always told the brothers in our church, whenever you're angry, please don't preach. <laughs> because the anger of man, James says, can never work the righteousness of God. And not only don't preach, whenever you're angry, don't speak. Even at home. You can save yourself from hundreds of sins if you follow this simple rule. But Elihu did not have that wisdom. He was angry and he spoke. And he was angry in a self-righteous way because he said Job, Job refused to admit that he had sinned against God. See, basically, all these people were saying was that you have sinned, your children have sinned, God knows you're all a crook, Zophar says. But none of these people really understood why God, even Elihu didn't understand. Elihu says some wonderful things about God. 
but he couldn't explain to job like if paul was there paul could have explained after going through that experience today we can explain but elihu didn't have that experience there are many preachers today who have no experience what they are saying is correct elihu is a good man and you can be a good person but if you don't have experience of trial and suffering your ministry will be very shallow that's what we learn from elihu's life chapter 32 verse he was angry he was also not only angry with job verse 3 he was also angry with job's three friends because they had condemned god by their inability and he thought well i can answer these fellows and he was young he says in verse 6 i'm young and you're old so i held back he's much better than the other three but he also does not have the answer chapter 34 verse 7 he says has there ever been a man as arrogant as job in other words he says from the time of adam has there ever been a man on the face of the earth so proud as job what did god say about job there's no man like him on the face of the earth such a perfect blameless upright man do you see how completely out of fellowship with god elihu is that elihu's opinion of job is exactly the opposite of god's the greatest bible scholars of jesus time the pharisees annas caiaphas the great bible scholars they thought he was the prince of devils unlearned people like peter said thou art the christ the son of the living god and jesus said you are blessed it's not your human cleverness that taught you it's not all your bible study that taught you my father in heaven has opened your eyes to see the truth so you see throughout the ages you find a lot of people who are very clever have sometimes got exactly the opposite opinion of a godly man that god has <clears throat> they think because of their knowledge they are right they are totally wrong don't be discouraged if people who are great bible scholars think you're wrong the history of the bible and the history of christianity teaches that's always been the case it's only a godly man who can assess your true value and imagine elihu the best of these four preachers says has there ever been a man who was so proud as job what a statement to make about the godliest man of his generation that shows how blind even good people can be <clears throat> who understand everything about god correctly and he also goes on to say in chapter 36 and verse 11 he's a prosperity preacher too if people listen to god and obey him they'll be blessed with prosperity throughout their lives and all their lives will be pleasant with health it's health and wealth but if they refuse to listen to god they will perish in battle and die it's the same message we hear today from the false preachers and he says in verse 26 look god is exalted beyond what we can understand some some things he says are right chapter 37 if He finally says in verse 23 and 24 we cannot imagine the power of the almighty yet he is so just and merciful that he does not oppress us no wonder people everywhere fear him people who are truly wise will show him reverence correct statement but a misunderstanding of job's condition what is job's reply to elihu nothing then god replies to job and when god speaks to job he has 
He doesn't talk about his suffering or saying you sinned and this, that and the other. He doesn't say anything like that. And Job is convicted. What a lesson for us to learn. God says, my ways are not your ways. You try to go and convict a man of his sin as like some self-appointed prophet. Nothing happens. And God in his great mercy and compassion speaks in quite another way. And the man is so thoroughly convicted of sin that he says, oh God, I'm corrupt, I'm nothing. How, how did Job change? Now this is an example. If you come to the last chapters of Job, you see that what God is basically telling Job is, if you can't understand all these wonders in creation, how can you understand spiritual principles? If you can't understand even creation, how can you understand spiritual principles which are deeper than creation? And that's a very good answer. Scientists are still trying to figure out the mysteries of the universe. We cannot understand spiritual truths except God revealing it to us. So the first thing we need is to humble ourselves. And then the second thing God tells Job in all these chapters is, if I can control the lightning, I don't have time to show you all these verses, but you can read from chapter 38 to 41. If I can control the lightning, and I can even control all the wild animals, you think I can't control that lightning that struck the house, that struck those animals that were killed? You think I can't control the storm that struck the house where your children died? You think I can't control the Sabians who came and destroyed your property? You think I can't do that? That's what God is trying to say. Think of creation. Think of what I have done. I control all these things. And he says in chapter 41 verse 9 to 11, if you can't stand even in front of a crocodile that I have created, you think you can stand before me? God's very down to earth. You see a crocodile and you turn and run. And uh, he says that, who will confront me? 41.11. No one dares disturb the crocodile, 41.10. And if you don't dare disturb the crocodile, how do you think you can stand before me, I who created that crocodile? You, nobody here will argue in front of a crocodile, will you? Your argument won't last very long if you try to argue with a crocodile. And um, God says, you won't stand in front of a crocodile and you think you can just come and stand before me? That's all he says. He doesn't talk to him about his sin or his children's sins or anything. He just shows him his greatness. And Job is humbled. Job says, the Lord says in verse chapter 40, verse 2, you still want to argue with the Almighty? What is Job's reply now to God? Lord, I am nothing. I want to tell you something from the first book of inspired scripture. God's purpose is to bring us down to zero. Whoever God uses, he has to first reduce to nothing. And when you recognize that you are nothing, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Who is Paul and who is Apollos? I planted, Apollos watered. He who plants, he who plants is nothing. He who waters is nothing. The man who does evangelism is zero. The man who does Bible teaching is zero. Paul says, I did the evangelism. Apollos did the Bible teaching. Who's going to get the credit? God. 
you do the evangelism somebody else does the bible teaching who gets the credit there are christians fighting about it today why are they fighting because they are not zeros i brought that soul you are stealing a sheep from my church my church there is a church of jesus christ which is this your church your church everybody must be stolen and taken away and put in the church of jesus christ we must destroy your church this is going on paul says who is paul who is apollos i planted somebody else watered i am nothing he is nothing god is everything that point many many servants of god have not come to that was the secret of paul's life he was a zero till the end of his life he said i'm nothing and job what a long time he took to come to that place where he said i am insignificant i am nothing and he says i'll put my hand over my mouth i'll never again speak to justify myself i'm good for nothing i've already said too much i have nothing to say and thereafter i believe for the rest of his life <clears throat> job became like james says a man who was quick to hear and slow to speak that long speech that he gave from chapter 26 to chapter 31 six chapters is one of the longest messages in the whole longest sermons in the whole bible almost it's all self justification i did this i cared for the widow i cared for the poor i helped the blind i nobody and the people respected me in the streets and people when i spoke nobody else spoke after that my words were so blessed all this he was conscious of all these things and he never realized the pride there was in his righteousness now this man has become zero as a result of whose preaching was it eliphas or bildad was it the man who saw visions and dreams and who gave all that to was it the man who held to his traditions was it the man who was a self appointed censor was it the man who was so correct in what he said none of these people could help him all these four types of preachers can't help anybody but god did so we can say there are five types of preachers here the fifth one was god whom shall we imitate be followers of god be imitators of god it says in 1 corinthians 11:1 learn something job all those people directly attacked job for his sin god never said a word about that god's way is different he drew job to become a true worshipper she showed him his fantastic sovereignty and his almighty power and i believe that's what the christian church needs to demonstrate to an unbelieving generation that our god is almighty he is sovereign i'm not afraid of you people i'm not afraid of you religious fundamentalists who try to do things to me not a hair on my head can be touched without my heavenly father's permission i am a servant of almighty god john wesley once said I have been sent by God to do a work and I am immortal until my life's work is done. That is how a man who lives before God speaks. The number of people who tried to kill John Wesley, they couldn't kill him. Because God had a plan for his life. Be a man of God, be a woman of God, one who lives before God's face, one who has God's compassion, one who is not ready to criticize, 
one who does not pass judgments without knowing the true facts and even after you know the true facts you say there may be still more which i don't know humble yourself and say lord i don't know i'm nothing i'll put my hand on my mouth and god and then job says in chapter 42 the lord says uh, job says verse 5 lord i had heard about you before with my ears but now i've seen you with my own eyes see there's a lot of difference between hearing about god and seeing him with our own eyes spiritually oh lord you know when john saw jesus in the isle of patmos he fell and worshiped and job fell down and worshiped and he says i take back everything i said i take back everything i said verse 6 426 and i sit in dust and ashes and i repent what what a wonderful place god's brief message brought job to which all those preachers could not do shall i tell you why and now you understand the reason if you want an effective ministry god loved job those other people did not love job if you love people from your heart god will give you the right words for them if you don't love them you only want to criticize them find fault with them accuse them you are jealous of them however much of the bible you know god will not give you the right words to bless them that was the difference god loved job loved the people you serve and god will give you words to speak to them like i've often said if you want to be a prophet of god you must have two things in your heart one you must have god's word in your heart and second you must have god's people on your heart then he'll give you a word for them otherwise he will not and then the lord said to job the lord said to these other people i'm angry with you verse 7 now you got to offer a sacrifice and ask my servant job to pray for you and ask my servant job to offer a burnt offering for you he's going to be your mediator this man whom you accused the lord says to one of the churches in revelation these people who have accused you i will make them come down and kneel before you and acknowledge that i have loved you that's what happens here and he says if job prays for you i will accept his prayer on your behalf and then i won't treat you as you fellows deserve to be treated because you have not said about me the right thing as job said job said many things angrily but finally he took back everything he said and what was left was all the good things and so eliphaz bildad and zophar went to job and said brother we are really sorry we had this wrong attitude towards you you see i don't know whether they repented or not they didn't want judgment anyway and job prayed for his friends verse 10 and as soon as he prayed for his friends the lord restored his fortunes too pray for these people who are supposed to be your friends who may be your enemies pray for them that's a godly man he learns how to pray for those who persecute him those who are jealous of him and when you do that it says the lord blessed him double you want the lord to bless you double 
Pray for those who persecute you. Love those who are your enemies. Do good to those who harm you. That's the way. I just want to point out to you one or two things in the book of Job in conclusion that Job said. In chapter 13 verse 15 he said, Even if God slays me, I will trust him. Wonderful words. And in chapter 19 and verse 25, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Remember, this is 2,000 years before Christ with no Bible written. I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand on the earth at the last day. Imagine, Job was a prophet speaking about the second coming of Christ. And after my body has decayed, he's speaking about the resurrection. I, in my body, I will see God. Today when people die, they don't have a body in heaven. This is talking about the resurrection. In my body, I will see God. I will see him for myself. I will see him with my own eyes. Chapter 23 and verse 10. In the Living Bible, it's written like this. He knows every detail of what is happening to me. What tremendous faith. He knows every detail of what is happening to me. He knows the way I'm taking. He knows every detail of this way. These are some of the tremendous confessions that Job made. And I believe that these are the things that remain. All the bad things are wiped out from God's record. Because Job took it all back. And these are the things that remain. And I hope that what we have studied here will help us to follow the example of this wonderful man. And the way that he lived in a time without all the facilities and encouragement that we have in our day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful example of this man who did not have even 1% of the opportunities and facilities that we have today. It shows that we can rise a hundred times higher, and if we haven't done so, it's because of our lack of faith, our lack of diligence, and our lack of seriousness, of which we want to deeply repent, bring us down quickly to that zero point from which you can bless us double. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.